how you're gonna get free this time. And he, you know, was kind of playing and not looking at me. As I turned to walk out of the, the room, he goes, uh, he says, uh, why can't I have a regular dad like other kids? And uh, even through all the alcoholic haze, uh, that one landed. That one landed. Now, just to give you an idea of how far I was gone, it was probably three years after that that I stopped. I, I really went into AA and really tried to stop drinking. But that echoed inside me, you know, that whole time of, of you know, what kind of environment I was creating for him, his sisters, and, uh, you know, my wife at the time. You also can wake up and decide, I'm going to walk in the spirit today, all day. I don't care if I'm in a bad mood or whatever. Let me, let me try, you know, that's part of my morning prayers. L let me carry your light. Let me carry the light of the spirit out and, and spread that. And no matter how you feel, you can still inside be happy, joyous, compassionate to everyone you run into. You know, it, it, you, you, can, you can actually, and I never believed it, you can actually choose to be happier if you want to. That was my friend, Ron Waller. Ron and I not only talk about those crazy making days of our drinking and substance use disorder, to, to say it politely, but we go deeper. And I really, really appreciated the fact that we got to talk about the underlying causes and conditions and then the path we can walk toward peace, toward serenity, toward walking in the world true to our deepest sense of being a beautiful human being. Well, today, I want to thank my friend Ron Waller for sitting down and being willing to share your story, Ron. It's, you know, we haven't known one another all that long, and yet I remember the first meeting I walked into 12-step meeting. We won't identify okay. what 12-step program that is, just in case there's All somebody right. listening that might have an opinion about that. But I remember, I remember hearing, you know, those first couple of meetings and hearing you share and thinking, yeah, that guy's got, that guy's got what I want to be able to emulate and walk with. So it's been good getting to know you. Yeah. Well, I it, I had a the same bond. I don't know. It, it's just kind of it's kind of strange. Like yeah, it felt comfortable, felt right. And I think the more I go on this journey, the more I realize if you just trust your spirit and those feelings, yeah. that, that they actually lead you in in the proper places, put yeah. you in the proper situations. So, well, I think I mentioned that that Shreeponia's One Breath podcast. We focus a lot on on recovery which usually indicates that there may have been some pattern of addiction or substance <laughs> use disorder, something along those lines that would have you sitting in, you know, in front of that microphone for us to have this conversation today. And, and I'd, li I'd like to, uh, I'd like to hear your story, you know, what, what happened. Um, and then I also want to spend some time because I know you've done a lot of work like the substance stuff and the compulsion and all that stuff has been gone for quite a while. And yeah, yet yeah. you and I've had conversations regarding these patterns and behaviors and ways that we've just learned to be long after the substances doesn't seem to be a problem. Yeah. So I'd like to like make our way into that 
and talk about that too. Okay. So. Yeah, well, it, it depends on, you know, recovery can be defined in a lot of different ways. If it's recovery from substance abuse, or if you start to look at the bigger picture, and, and as I think we get into some of these patterns and behaviors and stuff later, you know, it, it's recovery from, uh, you know, you can say childhood traumas, childhood um, practices that got that got grooved into you that that uh, that you tend to keep and, and keep uh, unless you make a concerted effort to change them, you're just going to unconsciously keep following them. Yeah, whether and, or not you're using the substance or not. <laughs> yeah, well, the yeah the using the using I think uh, you know stopped the impulses of those things mm-hmm. or took took me away or or um, yeah, it just gave me an escape. You know, um, but uh, but then then you got to deal with the patterns. And I think again, you know, in twelve step program, you know, one of the ones that sticks out to me is you get into step six. And you start talking about removing character defects, and I kind of do that as removing or stopping the behaviors that are non-beneficial to yourself, your friends, and society in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, how do you actually do that, and how, how does that actually come about? And again, once you remove the substance, then you can start looking at that. But then you got a whole other set of work to do. That, yeah. that, <laughs> now you now you got to do it sober. Yeah. yeah, that's right. The medicine's gone. <laughs> the medicine, yeah, or the the band aid or whatever you want to call it, the crutch yeah. or whatever's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you just want to start on. Yeah, uh, but, you uh, know, how how old were you when you know you maybe went to your first party and found your first. Oh, I, I was actually old. I mean, I wasn't until like maybe sophomore, junior in high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I grew up in the Midwest in a small farming town and drinking and being, you know, going to the stone quarries. We had all kinds of stone quarries around there. And that's where I used to go into party and shoot guns and do whatever crazy stuff you had. You couldn't really damage a stone quarry and nobody cared. Um, but I actually didn't join in on that until until very late. A lot of kids are doing that you know, junior high and, and, uh, and, uh, early in high school, I, I came from a very strict family and didn't, didn't go into it. Um, did it a little bit, but where I really lit fire was when I got to college. Mm. Um, I didn't realize how much fear and anxiety and everything I, I had. And then a little bit of drinking in high school. Then when I got to college, uh, I fortunately or unfortunately realized I had a pretty high metabolism to, uh, take large quantities of whatever and keep going. <laughs> And, uh, and it also then that, that kept, took my anxiety level down to be able to interact with people and, and, and feel comfortable. Um, but it, then it became my identity and, you know, good or bad, my first year in college, uh, my roommate and I somehow ended up in the football dorm. And so we were around all these giant athletes or whatever. And my identity was, you know, I probably weighed a buck fifty or something at that point, but I could take as many pills and drinks as these big giant guys, and they thought that was cool. So I was like kind of their mascot of, you know, <laughs> let Ronnie try it; he'll try anything. And uh, it it actually, I look at it now, that became part of my identity of being able to do that, escape, and and uh, um, that's that's kind of where it started, or started to become a crutch that I would turn to uh, repeatedly. Hmm. When did what, how how long did it take for that party atmosphere to start to turn into holy shit what did i do last night uh a while i mean i i actually used a lot and was able to maintain for you know 10 i'd say into my 
into my 30s, through my 20s and 30s, it was, uh, you know, as I say, it was, it was fun. It, w- it was a lot of fun. Um, and then it started to become the, the, the fun with problems and then just, just problems. Mm-hmm. But I probably went 10 years. Then, then I, got, I got married and got divorced. And as part of that divorce um, proceedings, I remember talking to my, my first wife and she looked at me and goes, do you think we're alcoholics? Because we always used to party a lot. And I just, that came out of left field to me. I'd never heard the word, never even thought about that I was, you know, abusing anything. Hmm. Um, and then the, the second wife and we had children. I didn't have children in the, in the first marriage. Um, and then it went along and, you know, I was... I was, yeah, drinking, then turned into daily drinking. Um, you know, some of the stuff that I look back on and just shudder, you know, I used to race cars. I, I was, I used to race cars and then I got my son started when he was five years old. And, you know, I can't tell you how many miles I put on I-5 driving a Denali with a 40 foot trailer behind it full of race cars and my son sitting in the car and I was just wasted. You know, wow. I was taking, you know, I love those big monster drinks because you could take the screw top off and dump half of it out and then fill it up with vodka the other half. And that was, Jeez, I, th- those were dads. Those were dads monsters. Nobody touched those, you know, but yeah, that, yeah, I, I used to do that all the time, you know, and then, oh, I think it was my son was about eight or nine. Yeah. Then it started to the, I, I call it blackout Columbo mm-hmm. where I would wake up the next day and you try to figure out the the pall of the house. <laughs> oh, was it a good time last night or, or, or did I do something? And having no idea what I did and, and put that back together. And one of those days, um, you know, I, my wife, my wife at the time told me, you really owe your son an apology. And I had no idea what for, you know, so I go in his bedroom and he's, you know, like I said, eight or nine and he's playing with his matchbox cars on his little track or hot wheels or whatever he had. And, uh, you know, I said, Hey, I'm really sorry. And, you know, I, I shouldn't have done that. Not knowing what I did, just, you know, shooting general apologies into the air to see if the energy felt right. Uh, and he, you know, was kind of playing and not looking at me. And as I turned to walk out of the, the room, he goes, uh, he says, uh, why can't I have a regular dad like other kids? Wow. And, uh, even through all the alcoholic haze, uh, that one landed, that one landed. Mm-hmm. Now, just to give you an idea of how far I was gone it was probably three years after that that I stopped I, I really went into AA and really tried to stop drinking but that echoed inside me you know that whole time of, mm-hmm. of you know what kind of environment I was creating for him his sisters and uh, you know my wife at the time but it did take a three-year gap there before I actually got super serious about um, stopping yeah I you know I, I don't think that's that uncommon Ron to have that moment where something lands yeah and it's inescapable and yet we've we've progressed far enough into the disease into the into that it it owning us that even those moments as significant as they are it it takes what it takes for us to to come to the end of it yeah well that first time it landed then that just started the uh, the first serious foray into half measures and you know dosage monitoring chain you know the, the the whole routine you hear about it in, in all the meetings of how you try to try to somehow continue drinking and and minimize the consequences and yeah of course i found it doesn't work yeah it doesn't work yeah it's that that 
element of powerlessness and unmanageability are a reality and we try to mitigate it you know we we try i try and i tried to negotiate how much yeah. you know how much or um time of the day you start yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right yeah. it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work yeah yeah yeah, I've I've heard it said. I had a buddy say, "Yeah, when I tried to control my drinking, I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, and when I really enjoyed it, I couldn't control it. Yeah, and uh, that's a hundred percent agree yeah, with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then somewhere along the line, in there, there's another statement, kind of like you know, my first wife saying, "Are you? Do you think we're alcoholics?" Kind of out of the blue. Was I was all wasted one night or whatever, and and somebody that was a, you know a, a decent friend just looked at me and said. Um, don't you ever, uh, don't you ever worry about being out of control? And I, I looked at him and I couldn't even comprehend why you should care about being in control or not. It just dawned on me that I had no, no compunction or whatever it is. I never thought about, um, the ramifications of what I was doing. You know, it actually stunned me that, you know, what do you mean being in control? That sounds overrated. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and you know, I, I, I was that far, the disease had me that much. I just didn't care. Just mm -hmm. did not even care about whether I was in control or not. Um, and I guess that probably is the definition of powerlessness. Yeah. <laughs> or close to it. Yeah. Yeah. So what brought you, what was that final moment in time that brought you to well, the, gonna, the, like the moment of yeah, clarity or the jumping yeah. off point? The jumping off point, uh, I think it, I think it was just a big argument. I, I, it's funny. I don't remember that, that moment exactly, which took me from having my son's words echoing around inside my body and soul to actually doing something. I know I had an argument with, with my wife and I, at that time we were thinking about getting, um, a divorce and split up and we eventually did get a divorce, but there was something about my life was not going well. And somehow in the middle of all that fog, I deduced that, hey, you know, when my wife and I are having our problems, alcohol is always involved. So that was kind of the one thing is, you know, there was no threats on the marriage from her. I just knew it was crumbling. And I'm like, you know what? I, I want to actually really try to stop this. And I didn't go to AA at first. I, you know, maybe I took another half step or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went down in, I was down in the Bay Area in California and they have a group called Support Systems, which is like an outpatient uh, program. So I actually did that. And it was, uh, I think it was like four months or whatever, a couple times a week you'd, you'd meet. And they were, they, they actually taught you about, I found it interesting. They taught you about the chemical, the chemistry of alcohol, what it does to your brain. And so being an engineer, I'm like, oh, that's why it makes <laughs> you feel the way, the way it does and does those things. Um, but the one thing they preached in there, you know, you really didn't graduate they wouldn't let you graduate until you had a solid meeting structure that you were going to for mm -hmm. AA. So they kind of, you know, did whatever they did in their conversations, but they pushed you hard into, uh, the AA meetings. And that's, that's how I got started going. Yeah. And, uh, so was it, did you feel resistance to feel like once, once you arrived at getting help, was there any, any time where you felt like, Oh, maybe I'm, really not an alcoholic no i don't think so i think i think i knew i needed it I, I think i knew i needed it for years before i got there but i just i just you know i don't know what the right term is i just lacked the courage to actually step up and go no more i'm not mm. going to let this rule me and so maybe that was the breaking point as i got to that point internally i'm like i'm not going to let this rule me anymore 
Mm-hmm. Not going to let it ruin my marriage. You know, I was I was just generally miserable in life anyway. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of got to try something because this is not going on a trajectory that uh, that feels good or feels right. Um, and then once I got in there, uh, and you mentioned a word that kind of stuck out is is feel and emotions. What I realized is, and, and you hear it in the AA rooms is. You know, AA numbs out the bad feelings. Well, it actually numbs out all feelings. And, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a capability to feel. So those first, you know, several months in AA, I didn't feel like I belonged there either. I just, I didn't know how to feel shit, you know. And uh, um, so I kind of felt like an outsider even in those meetings. And it took a while to, to warm up to what the words make sense, the sayings made sense, and you started... <laughs> You know, I got a sponsor. That one didn't work. Then I then I got a sponsor, who was actually like well known in the Bay Area. He's got one of these giant sponsor trees. You know, he's, he's probably affected uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. And so that was a moment. It's like I I want that guy, yeah, and because he's going to make me take it seriously. And he did. He saved my life. Yeah, I you know I got sober up in Seattle, and I was part of a posse. You know, a, a this guy was actually my grand sponsor, but he he died when he was like ninety five, four, wow. five years old, and and same thing, man. He impacted. I think there was something over fifteen hundred years of sobriety at his memorial yeah. service. Yeah, and hundreds of men. You yeah. know that 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 one guy, just right. the ripple effect. Yeah, so. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Yeah. You know, those people that, that, that give are committed to that level. Mm-hmm. In fact, he died in an auto accident, but he had actually, in the last years of his life, had moved back to Ohio to be close to the origin of, of AA. He was fascinated by, you know, the, the house, the history. and all. Yeah. yeah, he was that into it. He actually physically moved back there to, to get closer to it. Um, and then he had an unfortunate accident, but, mm. you know, he, he left a big imprint. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll never forget the first time I I thought of being able to be a contribution versus just a consumer. <laughs> I, I did a I did a lot of what what do they call it? You know the I was on the edges. I did I did a you know for a lot of years in AA I did a lot of taking and not a lot of giving back. Mm, you know, I was yeah. kind of what do they call it? Rim runner or something like that? I forget what the term is. Mm. You know, I, I, I was I was there. And, and finally, I, I think more of it was my own anxiety, be, you know, not feeling social, not, not feeling like I ever was supposed to be in the herd. It, it finally, you know, one of those other AA adages, we're going to love you until you learn to love yourself, starts, starts to actually kick in. Yeah. And the f- 472nd time you heard that, you're like, oh, that's what that means. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then you start to feel it in action. Yeah. And then you can help out. And then you have the experience of feeling it for the new guy yeah. coming in, you know, don't yeah. worry, man. We'll love you until you can Yeah. Love oh yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. You know, it, yeah. The, the newcomers seeing them now as I've gone on in time, it's, you know, come on in, man, come on in, you know, and we'll help you. Yeah. We'll help you. We'll learn to love you till you can love yourself. Have you always, have you always maintained a pretty active involvement and staying engaged in 12 step since you've since you've been sober or have you had any time where you've kind of backed off like yeah i'm not i'm not sure that i 
ever backed off, but I kind of, I, I was probably going to four to five meetings a week. And I, I found for me that if I do less than three meetings a week, I, I get squirrely. Mm -hmm. So three is my absolute minimum that I have to stay in. And I, I pretty much done at least that the, the entire time, you know, now there's levels of engagement, how you participate when you're in the meetings, <laughs> that, that's gotten a lot better as, as I've gone along. But, yeah. you know, I, I didn't really ever take a, a break on it. Um, you know, well, I did have one relapse, so I guess that, that counts as a break. How long had you been sober? When uh, you, when I did you... the normal, I did the normal nine month pink cloud and, uh, you know, I ended up, ended up having the, getting the divorce from the wife and then it was, okay, now I'm going to date again. And it, it really came down to, it was really freaking difficult to date somebody that wants to meet you in a wine bar at a bar, <laughs> you, you know. It, there is a little bit of a, uh, you know, I don't want to say uncomfortableness or situation, but yeah, it, it, it's awkward to start, um, you know, socializing. It, it also makes you understand uh, how ingrained alcohol is into the social fabric of, of society in general. You know, yeah. it's a great lubricant. Um, but I did that, you know, for a couple months. And, and fortunately, I didn't have a really big bottom to drive me back. It was acknowledging the powerlessness where, um, you know, I was clock watching at work to see how quick I could get to the bar. And I used to get there at five and then it was four thirty, and then it was four o'clock. And then I'd be at the bar at four o'clock and somebody in front of me would order a mojito or something to take my bartender's time. And I was getting all spun cause it was between <laughs> me and my drink. And then I just kind of said, the fuck are you doing, dude? <laughs> this, this is, uh, Yes, you have a problem for real. So let's start over. Yeah. And then I've been in ever since. Yeah. So. Wow. So, you know, since you've been sober, Ron, what have been some of, what have been some of like the, the challenges and the things that you um, have discovered about yourself? And then where have you gone? You know, in, in the program, we talk about like underlying causes and conditions yeah. and that the bottle, alcohol, drugs, whatever is, is, a, is the symptom of those underlying yeah. traumas or wounds. What, what has been, what, what has been your biggest challenge? And then the path you've taken to find transformation of those underlying causes yeah. and conditions i mean yeah the biggest challenge was you know the 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 putting the putting the drink down you know it didn't take that long and it wasn't wasn't that difficult then then like you said then all the the flaws the bad patterns the behaviors are laying there and um yeah just finding out how to address those again the the one in me that always sticks out in the steps is that sixth step about your character defects and and how to adjust those. I did some individual therapy, you know, during the early years or whatever, and it really, you know, it kind of danced around and it didn't seem to make a difference. And recently I, I went to a, a retreat um, down in Northern California. Is that okay if I say the name of it? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's called the Hoffman Process. Um, and uh, it that was really life-changing. And a lot of the stuff, the principles of AA... I saw over and over again in any self-help book and anything, it's like, get in touch with your spirit, help others, get out of yourself. You just see that all over and as a, as a common theme. And I was always amazed that the core themes of AA are in every improvement program that you go to. I'm like, oh shit, this is AA. <laughs> uh, um, but this one, 
this one actually went one step further and and gave and gave tools and things to do to change your character defects. They 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 refer to them as patterns and patterns that you get laid in mainly developed when you're a child. Not everything's your parents' fault. Society also puts some patterns on you and male female roles put patterns on you, but a lot of it comes from your parents and you're figuring out some survival technique as a kid to deal with what what your environment looks like and or or you absorb or mimic the ones that you see you know i got a whole list here my top 10 (laughs) (laughs) the the program and and uh you know being unworthy being critical being judgmental you know and those Mm -hmm. are all fit in line with character defects Mm -hmm. but this program actually addressed them made you feel comfortable that you are not a bad person because you have these patterns you need to Everybody has patterns. Some of them are, are beneficial. Some of them not so beneficial, you know, depending on your circumstance. So you're not to blame for them. And then it gives you things of how to basically rewire your ne- neurology, rewire your responses to situations. And you stop passing judgment. You stop being critical. There's, there's other ways to do it. And the heart of the other way to do it is they always want you to come from a point of self-compassion, you know, and and get the self-compassion first and then you can give it to others you look at you look at situations you perceive it totally differently instead of this guy's a dick it's like oh i wonder what i wonder what's causing him to be in that situation just just slightly rewiring it reframing things coming from the point of of compassion makes life so much better Mm. And it, it does unwind your nat- my natural unconscious ways to to react, and uh, and that was the biggest thing that that I learned there. But again, it was a hundred percent, and everything I just said is is there you know harping on self compassion. I'm sitting there in the room at this thing, going, you know, saying the A, saying we're going to learn to love you, so you can learn to love yourself. I'm like, oh shit, that's what that means, <laughs> mm. and uh, that's really made the biggest difference. I I needed that to. You know, the principles of AA are in line with any improvement, but there were some of the things, maybe being an engineer and that black and white thinker is like, okay, show me the next step on, on how to do this. This program really did that. Um, and uh, Well, you've, you've been, I mean, you went to the retreat. It's been some time. So there's, you've, you've experienced like real transformation. Like yeah. it isn't just well, work for the first three weeks after you got home. And, and then, you know, I, when I was a kid, I was raised, I went to church camp every summer. Yeah. I, I came home from church camp. I was on fire, for, <laughs> you know, for whatever, you yeah. know, and within three weeks it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like going to a Tony Robbins seminar where you yeah. come out of them all fired up. Exactly. And then, then yeah. you never listen to the CDs again. And then, you know, then yeah. it's like it never happened. Right. That's, and that's, that's been something that's been fascinating regarding really deep transformative work is how where in with where within us does it occur and then how once it begins to happen where is that place that that it becomes sustainable and it becomes as much a part of our life as the debilitating behaviors and patterns yeah i th- i think the the technique that got shown that 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 laid on me they have a thing called the the circle of transformation and the first thing is awareness and then then you acknowledge it then you you know 
re- reframe it and live it from compassion. And they, sh- they show you, you don't just go, oh shit, I don't want to be critical anymore. It's like, no, you stop, you maybe take a minute or two, you replay the behavior you just did. And then you, I'm going to replay that scenario now, but I'm going to come from a place of compassion and, and replay that. And, you know, you do, they have little exercises you do, um, and little physical movements, and then you reprogram it. The big, the big thing that they, that, that, that was the aha for me is if you don't recycle, they call it, if you don't recycle the situations, you're not changing your neural pathways. And then the next time it comes up, you're just going to behave the same way again. You can't just sit there and beat the shit out of yourself of, oh, next time I'm not going to be critical. No, next time, how are you going to react in the situation? And it actually starts to reprogram your thinking of next time it comes up, then suddenly you naturally start going more easily towards a compassionate or, or a better response. But yeah, just, just thinking about it is not enough. You have to then reprogram. Otherwise, you're just going to keep going down the same. So do you, what, what would make sense to me is like after you've had an episode where you've displayed and had the impact on yourself and maybe someone else of, yeah. of old patterns and behaviors, that rate almost right away you create yeah. the next time yeah you create and and take yeah. yourself through that next time from the place of compassion yeah, that's exactly what they call it recycling that's what recycling is you okay. take that situation and you recycle it but you have to you have to play it through this is how i'm going to respond in the future and you actually close your eyes and visualize okay here's that situation again here's the words i'm going to use here's the feelings i'm going to have you know i'm not going to just launch or, you know, I'm going to come at it from a different way. So that, that recycling is, is the, is the reprogramming. And once you learn that technique, you can do it, you know, like you and I just sitting here, you wouldn't even know I'm doing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or, or you take a minute after the situation's over and you just, you know, rub your hands together. There's little, like I said, there's little tricks that they do. You know, you throw the bad behavior down on the ground and grind it out like a cigarette butt. You know, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you actually, you know, actually do that. I'm a big believer in, you know, the trauma and the patterns and stuff are not just in our mind, but they're actually in our DNA and in our cells. And that's also what this program says is you you have to get those expressed out of your, you have to get them expressed out of your system. They're physically there, not just mentally. And so they have you do these little physical exercises. Like I showed you coming in, I've got a whammo wiffle ball bat over here yeah. where I beat uh, <laughs> in a pillow, in a pillow. A and I, yeah. yeah. And it's been five minutes saying, you know, I'm not going to be unworthy today. I'm not going to be critical. I'm not going to allow lack of joy and fun to rule my day, you know, and just start, yeah. you start out the day like that. You take five minutes and I tell you, it, you, you come at the day a whole new way. Wow. But it's just, you know, as they say, it's like AA, it's just like exercising you got to keep doing it every day, you know, and, uh, some piece of it. And, uh, it, it certainly made a big Im- impact on me. My, my girlfriend also did it. It, it changed her life. Wow. Uh, yeah. 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 That, uh, to be able to, to create new behavior, something has to be new in the way, yeah. you know, not only think, but you actually take you engage your body in something new and, and like developed a practice of going through this situation and it's become part of your life. Yeah. 
Well, you had the somatics class, right? I mean, yeah. you talk about the feeling. That stuff's in your body. Yeah. I mean, your, your emotions are not just something that fires through your head. It, it, you feel it all through your body, and you need to rewire, rewire all of that. Yeah, so. Yeah, that's, and it, what we feel in our bodies probably didn't just show up at our birth. You know, I, I look at my, at like my parents, my grandparents. Yeah. I think this stuff is like multi-generational. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that when I, when I showed up, my DNA was wired because of yeah. my, of my parents. And, and you mentioned yeah. a, a big one too, my environment, my culture. Yeah, I was raised in a, in a particular culture that I'm not surprised that I started to have beliefs behaviors, attitudes show up. Um, in addition to the fact that I was born into the, into the family and my ancestors are what they are, you know? No, that is part of this program. They talk to you, you know, the, the lineage of that stuff coming down to you, You, you're, you're pre-programmed predisposition to, to stuff. The one thing that you know, actually, it's a support group that I have from from people that I met in that program. Somebody did come out and say, you know, the program relies heavily that all the patterns in your life are coming from your parents. They do mainly focus on that. But it, it is that now there's other patterns that, that get on by society, by, you know, trying to be a male, you know, whatever you think a, a male is supposed to behave like, you know, whatever, whatever those things are. There's other patterns that get in there. The good news is the same process of rewiring works. doesn't matter where the pattern come from. Yeah. Realize that, that it's there and do something to, to rewire it. And then, Could have you ever found your path to, to this degree and level of freedom without walking with other people who are, you know, walking, walking the path? Could have, could have you done it on your own? No, I mean, I, I tried, I, I, I tried to do it on my, on my own. Um, one of the things in this program, they talk about your, your body, your, yourself being made up of a quadrinity, one of which is the, your intellect and then your physical body, the vessel that you move in, your spiritual self and your emotional self. And they're actually um, really cruel on the intellect that the intellect tends to drive most people that gets out of out of balance with the other quadrants and that they you beat the intellect back because you can't think your way out of this stuff so absolutely no i i you know consider myself reasonably intelligent but i couldn't think my way out of these problems and you know and and they showed me you you can't think your way to rewiring your behaviors or whatever and and you need to do something physical move you know replay it in your head do something you know physically physically redo it um i would not have got it in fact i was kind of getting frustrated with aa on on i I need more tools but now actually i've done the program and i come back and look at aa and i'm like oh the words and practices are right there i just look at them totally differently i just i was blocked and couldn't couldn't see a a different or better perspective um and so the outside help for me, this program really helped put a different perspective on it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, you know, am convinced that, that, that most of us in recovery there, there is our main, you know, recovery program that we're involved in, but I'm, I'm, I'm a huge proponent and advocate for outside help, so to speak. Yeah. You know, 
because there are things that that until I have an experience, I don't necessarily hear every single thing I need to hear. Or when was the last time you were at a 12-step meeting and they put a cushion and a wiffle ball bat in the middle of the room and let you beat the shit out of it? Yeah. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Right. <laughs> Maybe should, but... <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, there's some so there's some different techniques and and you know you know I look at at like the sixth step, you know, praying and you get 6 and 7 when you're praying to get your character defects removed and I was expecting something to just shoot me wonderful and I'm going to stop thinking these thoughts, I'm going to stop, you know, having tendencies to do that. And I realized that maybe the answer to my prayer was me finding this outside work. It wasn't that I was going to suddenly have some cosmic or spiritual dump on me that's going to erase all this stuff it's like no you got to go just like AA. you got to go do some work yeah you got to go do some work yeah um so yeah the resting on your laurels you know thinking you got it yeah yeah <laughs> doesn't seem to work all that well no yeah. it doesn't yeah hmm what what has been the primary thing that you've experienced in relationship because one of the things that that you know that that and I'll go ahead and use the term AA because I really don't have a problem using it but one of the things in the literature it talks about you know one of our one of our major challenges is the inability to form a true partnership how, how do we learn to be intimate yeah. with another human being and um you know, when, when you dig deep enough, I think in just about anyone, we find ourselves with huge limitations and walls and barriers that we put up. Has there been, has there been, uh, like a lessening of the, of the barriers and the ability to open up and be more vulnerable? Yeah. I mean, those, those, those barriers are, are your patterns. You know, you think, you, you know, you, you do a lot of things. They, they called it in the offsite uh, or in this program, transference. I mean, I put a lot of things on you as behavior because I'm looking at you because I've brought up, been brought up being critical and judgmental. I assume that's, that's how you or the rest of the world acts. So those patterns or cables or shackles or whatever that you put on your view of the world generally come from your patterns. And, and it, it, it takes a while to, to realize that's not how everybody else is wired or programmed. You know, and uh, so, so yeah, get, getting those out of the way allow you to see the world in a much better place. And you find out, you know, they talk about it in AA, the similarities are, are overwhelming uh, compared to the differences. And a little story about this offsite. One of the, one of the practices that they do is um, you do a bunch of pre-work, but you come in there and you, your name is your childhood nickname. So I was Ronnie Mark. And you're not allowed to talk about what your job is, what you do, or do anything until the very last day when you graduate, you're able to stand up and say who you are, what you do, and, and that sort of stuff. And the, the subtle thing that you find that, that dawned on me at the end of the week is we, we bonded with these 40 people in the class. I bonded with these 40 people closer than everybody else that you had. You, you, you know, you couldn't, you didn't form a hierarchy, you know. One guy's a famous Hollywood producer. You find out he's done Oscar-winning movies and shit. And you're like, holy shit. <laughs> I thought you were just screwed up, you know, Jim. You know, or, you know it's, it's amazing. Um, they trick you or, or that what that practice does is you actually learn to meet somebody from the inside out. 
because you don't have any of the hierarchies of the world, what their job is. Are they above you? Are they below you? There's no comparison. It's like you're there and you're like, well, you're here to fix yourself because, you know, it's like coming into AA. You're not here on a winning streak. You want to you wanna do something to improve mm-hmm. yourself. And you actually meet other people on that, that level. And it starts that realization that, wow, this is what a relationship feels like when you just, you know, honestly talk to another person, you know, about their issues and listen. And, you know, it, it's just a whole way, new way of approaching another person. And, you, you, again, you see all these people when you find out who they are and you're, you know, CEOs and own their own companies and all this stuff. And like, as fucked up as I am (laughs) or, or that, that's a bad bad way to look at it. The compassionate way they're having the same struggles. They're having the same human struggles. Yeah. Who the hell wants to be compassionate? (laughs) But, but no, yeah. And and that is one of the biggest problems. And I, I think it goes back to the numbing thing. I didn't know how to relate to people because I was numbing my emotions, good and bad. I didn't know how to feel. And, uh, you can't have a relationship if you're not, you're not feeling honestly mm. with the, with another person. Yeah. That, uh, I've talked with my wife quite a bit because my, you know, my default setting, if when I'm feeling backed into a corner or feeling the pressure or embarrassed by my behavior or something like that, or something's been pointed out. I mean, my default setting is resistance and, and denial. And it's taken me a long time to find the humility. You know, step seven says we humbly ask, yeah. right? That's finding humility to, um, to be able to even receive feedback yeah. from somebody has been, it's been a major gift, but it's also been such a challenge. Um, have you, you know, as you, even in sobriety, had, had there been a dominant emotion or a behavior that you've expressed that that seemed to be in the way more than others? I don't know. I have to look at my top 10 here. You know, <laughs> you know, we had about 20. I cut it down to 10. I mean, I think, I think the dominant thing about my upbringing was I was brought up in shame and staying small. And, and also, I think along with that was lack of joy and fun. You're not supposed to pursue joy and fun. That's a selfish, self-centered thing. And so it, I just look at how I just kept myself small. And then it would make me, some of the social anxiety I had was, well, I'd be talking to you, Greg, and you know, then I'd get into the comparison mode of, wow, he's done more than me. You know? And then, you know what? I want to stop injuring myself and finding all these people that have done better than me. I'll just stop talking, just... You know, mm. not interact with people, and it gets you into the isolation and drinking and all, and all that sort of stuff. But I think at the at the core is, for me, was just basically shame and not feeling worthy were were the the overwhelming thing, and then just with a with a dash of melancholy on top of it. You know, I, that's that's where I was, and that's where I wanted wanted yeah. out out from. Yeah, yeah. I think mine would be like passive aggressive rage. You know, just, um, I get real quiet, withdraw until I can anymore. Yeah. And then my, my, my modus operandi would be to just explode and accuse and, yeah. you know, just, it, it's taken a long time to heal that, that, that primary emotion that, that drove a lot of my behavior. 
Yeah. How long? long how long between your explosions? As you mentioned that, I I was pretty good at that. I I had about a six month cycle, and it'd be a blow up at home, a blow up at work. It was about six months I could stuff stuff shit yeah. until until the tea kettle boiled over. And <laughs> yeah, no, I looked at that. I I did that for years. Yeah, when I like, was when what? I was younger, it was probably uh, the frequency was a lot more. Yeah, probably because I had a lot more testosterone <laughs> and just had a lot more stuff going on. Right. But I think, yeah, um, I, I don't, I, I'm not in the experience of it so much anymore because I've, I've done outside work and then, you know, have, have been able to find some relief from some of those deep, deep things that I'm thinking there's, you know, drugs and alcohol went away pretty quick, but these under, these underlying behaviors and attitudes and stuff, man, it took a long time. Yeah. Well, I took a long yeah, time. I'm coming up on 11 years in the program, and I'd say I'm just getting to that in the last six months, you mm-hmm. know, with some of this outside help and, and things in the program. You know, I, I mean, I, I appreciate the, the groups that we have here. Um, they've been really welcoming and, and, and made you feel even another level of community that, that helps and, and makes it okay to ask for help. I mean, it's hard enough to ask for help going into the program. Then you got to ask for help again on the, for the outside help. You know, it keeps coming up that, you know, maybe if I actually ask some advice from somebody and yeah. listen to them, it actually does work. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've found that there's never been anybody that, in fact, I've been sitting in meetings and sharing, going through some real challenges. Because in sobriety, life doesn't stop. You yeah. know, I've gone through a divorce, incredibly painful. I went through uh, a really upsetting um, and uh, thing with my two business partners that ended up in, you know, me not being there anymore. Um, really devastating things that had I tried to just walk through that stuff alone, I would be just a a really bitter human being. Yeah. But I can remember sharing. In fact, one of the more humorous things, I had hit this um, point of no return with my business partners. I went to a, a meeting. I got It was a call-on meeting, and the, you know, the guy chairing the meeting asked me to share. <laughs> and I just <laughs> F-bombing the thing. And one of my good buds comes up to me afterwards, and he said, wow, Greg, he said, I counted like 14 F-bombs. I said that's because I only had three fucking minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was Which just is, getting a good start, yeah. you know. But I, but that same guy came up to me, and said, "Hey, man, can we have coffee?" And we ended up actually going to lunch the next day. And and I found this to be the case that if I'm willing, yeah, to like be honest and vulnerable, somebody's walked through something yeah. really yeah. similar to me. And if I'm willing to sit down with them and listen, it's like they're the guide that's walked this path just a bit ahead of me. Yeah. And I haven't had to go back out. I haven't had to go all the way into the destruction of, you know, a relapse or another another bottom. And, you know, have you found that to be the case for you? Oh, yeah. I just had a recent example of that, you know, coming up. My, my parents are aging, and unfortunately, my father's like late in Parkinson's or whatever. And I shared something about that at a meeting. And I had somebody come up, said, I just, 
you know, just went through that, sat down, here's what's going to happen. And, you know, a couple of coffees and a lunch and you talking you through it. And it was like, it made it so much easier. It mm -hmm. made it, it, you know, it made it, it, it made it tolerable. And just, you can sit there and realize, you know, Hey, the world is going to world and life is going to life. And you, gotta, you got to figure out, you know, there's some old saying, right. Uh, you can't, you can't stop the waves, but you can learn how to surf. So, oh, uh, yeah, you know. I like that. I've not heard that before. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I like that yeah, one. <laughs> stop fighting. I mean, our rage and stuff, yeah. we, would, we would bottle that stuff up. And oh, I, yeah. I think for me in those, what I hear you when you say that is I was just refusing to process the emotions and process whatever feeling that that stuff was. And that just builds up and builds up. It sucks your energy. It sucks your mood down until it blows up. And, and it took me years to realize that, you know, you can just take the tea kettle off the burner if you want to. You don't, you don't have to try and improve the, turn the pressure knob up or something like that. So it can withstand more pressure. You, yeah. you just can, can go at it a whole different way. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So let, let me ask you like on that one is, is did you feel a shift in you trying to stop blocking emotions and stuff and start processing them? I mean, when, when did you feel that take place? Yeah. I, um, shortly after, so I got divorced. I was sober three and a half years and just, you know, and then ended up getting divorced and found some outside help. And, and, and that outside help began to help me understand my part in it. And, um, yeah, so the rate, I don't let the rage build up much anymore. Yeah. I'm yeah. willing, even in my, even in my intimate relationship with Jennifer, I, I, I'm, I'm able to talk. And when I'm feeling something, I found the magic of what it's like to just be honest Yeah. about, wow, I'm feeling, you know, I'm frustrated right now. Yeah. And that's just, that, that relief, that is a relief valve because it doesn't build up anymore. I can be really hurt. I can even be upset, but if I'm willing to like address it and just be honest, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't go into that, you know, getting in my truck, driving to San Diego, cause I got to get the hell out of there yeah. for two weeks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> things have drastically yeah. changed, yeah. Yeah. miraculously changed. Yeah, it is, it is a miracle. It, it, yeah. Some of it's just very simple process, you know, yeah. simple things, just process or just, just say what you feel, you know, and you feel that way and you're not applying blame. You're not, you know trying to win a law case. I feel this way and you did it to me because you know, <laughs> you leave that stuff off and you just, Hey, I feel this way. And it's yeah. like, Hey, that's a human condition. Shit like this happens to everybody. Okay. Okay. Let's see what we can do to not feel this way. Uh, going forward. Is there mm -hmm. something that can be done? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that stops the, that, that stops the, stops the explosion. Yeah. I mean, and one, one, I just want to share this one that, you know, my, my partner, Diana has been, you know, awesome as I've, I've gone through some of this stuff, but yeah, I, a year ago, year and a half ago, I had just, had just a giant blow up at her, you know, just calling her every name on the planet and blaming her for everything. And in the middle of the rage, she looked at me and said, uh, you're not yelling at me, are you? And, and, and uh, and it was, no, I wasn't, I was angry at my mom. I, you know, all this shit in the past, she just happened to be 
the person that was sitting in the car and was was captive to it but it, yeah it it uh but that was a that was an aha moment you're not yelling at me you got some baggage that you're unloading mm-hmm. here that uh that it doesn't have anything to do with me mm-hmm. uh, how did you respond to that because i've had uh, things like that said to me in the moment and it doesn't go well uh, I mean, well, she said, it, she maybe. said it in a, you know, it was said in a compassionate mm. way, you know, it wasn't in a condescending way. So it made me step back and I don't, I don't know that it ended the tirade, but it certainly diffused everything down to, yeah, what are you doing? Like, think about this for a second, you know, think about what you, what you're really doing to, you know, yeah, it, it, it did, it did give me a cause for a pause. I don't know that it ended it right at, you know, that moment, but it certainly, with you having a background as an engineer, you definitely probably spent a lot of time with the intellect. It was way, Prop, out, way out of balance. Problem solving and, you know, and, and when you shared that, that the program you've gone through brings balance to the different areas of your life, that it, you know, let's see, what am I looking for here? We are in our culture, we're so rewarded for the way our intellect functions yeah. and how well we are able to function in that, in that arena. How have you found that, that pathway into the, into the spiritual, into your heart, into, in, you know, and being able to move into the other dimensions of who you are as a human being? Yeah. Well, the the biggest thing is you, you stop worrying about the comparison and, and yeah, the intellect does to you and, and actually then become talking to the intellect and actually thanking it for getting you this far. It, it did successful things in business and in relationships. And, and so thanking it that it developed a survival technique or whatever that worked for a while mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it, it runs out. Um, and so that's the thing is, and, and, and what you find in conversing with the intellect, it's almost like it goes, thank God, I'll, I'll, yes, I'll turn over part of the wheel to somebody else. I'll listen to your authentic spiritual self. Let's do what it says for a while. So I don't have to be driving this, you know, trying to, trying to manage this or outthink, um, everything. Um, so that, that was the thing that, that the approach there was, and it, it, it kind of willingly back, backed off. And you need to start to realize things like the intellect and business books. And I worked in the high tech industry and everybody's fascinated with tech and all this, you know, these super intellectual things like that. But any of those success books or any of those things, they have nothing to do with you feeling like a good person. It's just, it's just how you win the stock option war and stuff like that. It doesn't have anything to do with, with you living a successful, a, a truly successful, happy life. Yeah. You know, it may get material rewards, but. It doesn't yeah. doesn't the, address the, the, anything else. The distinction with between human doing and human being. Yeah, there's a huge chasm there, man. Yeah. And we can, the business books, the even a lot of the self help stuff is to be the doing part of us. Yeah, where you know our nature is to be in the experience of of being here on this planet and living within yeah. the realm of our body and our emotions. And, and connecting spiritually yeah, with yeah. someone or something that is like, you know, I, I don't know how to hang the stars out there. Yeah. 
So there's something going on that's beyond me. Way beyond. Yeah. And I and I'm willing to 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 concede to the fact that I am not all of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and how have you how have you found your path spiritually? Well, the, that's been the biggest change, you know, it's, that's that I think has happened to me over the last six months, and a little bit before the program, before that offsite thing that I went to or the, the retreat, and even just in AA, is just really focusing on that spiritual connection and letting, actually following what your spirit says. You're just doing what you're behaving like your authentic self does. And for most people, I think they have a, an internal moral right and wrong when they get really down to the beginning of it is just start acting at what it's telling you to do. Um, and then as far as connecting to it, I've really ramped up my prayer and meditation um, a, a lot. And, you know, I, I, f I found out that, that part of my addiction, you know, shifted from substances or whatever to addiction to busyness and things like that and distraction of not just being here. And, and I yeah, found some good guided meditations and stuff like that, that really help you just realize all you have is right now. And I, I think I now understand the definition of mindfulness or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've heard that word all the time mm -hmm. and what's it mean? And, you know, it's all airy fairy or, you know, what is it? It's like, no, all you have is right here, right now. You know, you can, you can distract yourself with lamenting what happened to you or didn't happen to you in the past or trying to get anxious about what might happen in the future. But we really just have, you truly just have what's, what's here. And, and through, through prayer and meditation that I've ramped that up and that's really made a big, big difference of just settle down, put your phone down you know, put, stop the distractions, stop listening to the news and the media. They're just there to create fear and just look around and and be with the people around you you know and they saw a, a documentary on that one of the beautiful examples of that is like look at a two three four or five year old kid right you know they're just totally into whatever their environment you go on a walk with a two-year-old and you're stopping at every pedal <laughs> throwing away a gum wrapper you know they're just totally mindful they're just totally into mm. right here right now they're not worrying about anything else and uh that I found is that that's what keeps you connected with the spirit. Then you have a chance for gratitude because you stop and you look around and like, you know, you don't need to get deep about what am I here for? Maybe I'm just here to look around and see how beautiful stuff is. Mm -hmm. Like you said, the stars, the trees, the rivers, mm -hmm. the mountains. It's like we got beauty all around us. Stop and look at it. Yeah. Stop and look at it. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, we happen to live in a part of the world, too, that that we have access within a couple of minutes, oh, yeah. seconds to, to just be embraced and enveloped by the, the, the magnificence of, of this yeah. earth. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm convinced. And I talked to Diana about this. Too, I'm convinced that's why we moved here. We, we, we ended up here for a reason and, and we love nature, love beauty. And yeah, we, we we're blessed here that we get to mm -hmm. live so close to so much of it. Mm -hmm. just right outside our door. Yeah. You just got to also stop and appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Let go of the busyness so that you can, when you do walk out your front door and get on a trail, like you realize I'm on the trail. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on the trail and, <laughs> and that I, tree looks pretty cool. And yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 Begin to have, begin to experience the life that's like happening in things that we've just taken for granted, like a tree. Yeah. Having its own experience. Yeah. Of, of life. 
flowing through it. Yeah. And we have, how do we get to connect with that? You know, that, that was a strange thought for, for me for a long time, but I've gotten to know people, um, you know, we live next to a, uh, a reservation and some of my friends there are be, they're talking to me about the tree people and stone yeah. people and the finned people and the four leggeds like this life that I think I experience in such a unique way is is happening in these other beings that I've considered unintelligent. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of smoked my brain. Yeah, well there there's lots of the readings and stuff I do now just talks about the connectedness of everything in the universe and I fully believe that we're we're spiritually, you know, vibrationally energy connected to everything. Mm-hmm. Everything's got got vibrations. Um you know, I always wondered about that, like reincarnation, you're going to come back. And, you know, I think the humans, we arrogantly think we're the top of the, we're the top of it. And maybe a tree is the ultimate thing. They watch us run around like anxiety, you know, driven animals, killing things, slaughtering things, slaughtering each other. And the tree's staying there for a hundred years and, you know, we'll come back as that. And they're just like, look at these idiots. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, every- I'm just going to enjoy the sunshine. I'm going <laughs> to drop life. I'm, you know. Yeah. Look, animals are coming by. It's awesome. You know? Yeah, here I am emitting all of this oxygen, so yeah, you poor, you poor people can't yeah. survive your anxiety and your suffering. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm yeah. Trying to help you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh... Yeah. So what? You know what? As we kind of bring this to a close, if there's someone that's listening that maybe they've been sober for a while, but they seem stuck. You know, they're in that place of, and shit ain't working out right now for me. Yeah. Do you have any, any suggestions or, I mean, I can just go by the, the recency, the recency uh, thing that with with me, as I just mentioned is, is uh, the prayer and meditation, especially the meditation, which for me this time through has actually taught me to be able to, I don't want to use the word detach because that sounds like some psychological illness, but but separate myself from my thoughts and my emotion and actually be an observer. Oh, I'm feeling this. And instead of getting sucked into the, the monkey brain activity of the thoughts and emotions, you process them or you watch them happening to you. That separation has come to me recently through the prayer and meditation, and that makes things calmer. Then you can process your thoughts. Then you can process your emotions. Hey, here comes a thought. Well, guess what? There it goes. If you don't put attention and awareness on it, it just fades away, you know? And, and with, with you being someone who spent, has spent so much time in the intellect and in the brain. Yeah. How, how, you know, what would you say to someone? Cause I hear this from quite a few people when we start talking about that aspect of walking in recovery as prayer and meditation, right. Is a principle that is offered and strongly recommended and suggested. Yeah. And the thing I hear a lot is I can't sit down for five minutes. How do you, how, how, what would be your response to someone is I sit down and I just am, it's just a blur. for Yeah. That, that, that was me. I mean, that's why I don't think I put that much effort to it into it earlier in the program. I, you know, I, 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 I call my, you know, diagnosed with ADD and all that sort of stuff. But I, I look at a, my ADD now maybe a little bit differently in that 
I'm just addicted to being in the busyness and the thought processing and flying around. I'm not willing to step back into my, you know, spiritual self and, and connect with a quiet that, that's inside you, that knowingness that's inside you. So I go to that distraction world and, and it's not so much that, that, uh, yeah, that's the way my brain works. I look at it as I'm, I'm scared of the opposite. I'm scared mm. of not being in that, that hyper, that hyper area. And the meditations, again, I can, I can share the ones that I found. The ones, the guided ones for me, um, really go into separating you out of your bus- busyness, you know, analyzing, hey, that thought comes in, just go ahead, process it, just wait, just now stop thinking about it, and guess what, it goes away. You know, okay, another one will come in, and, and it goes away. But th- this, it's the, the, the meditation app is called waking up and it has daily meditations or maybe 10 15 minutes it's that's, not that's sam harris yeah sam it? harris yeah. yeah yeah so that one that I, I tried many different ones but that one just steps you through day by day um and then the cool thing about that is not only do they have the meditations but behind the meditations they'll have a little tutorial of why they did that in the meditation so for my engineer brain it's like okay now i now i know the technique of why you made those suggestions but yeah, I, I, I claimed my brain was too busy to meditate. It, it's not. It's, yeah. It's not. That actually is meditation. You know, follow your thought then. Okay, then jump back and get another one. Or, or, you know, why don't you count your breath for three or four breaths? And yeah. then you suddenly realize, wow, I'm not worried about those thoughts anymore. Yeah. You know, it, it just it just highlighted your my the ability for me to separate myself from the thoughts and emotions. Yeah, when I first started trying to develop a meditation practice, I... I would count backwards from 10 with my breaths. Yeah. yeah I couldn't get to six or seven for a long yeah. time. You know, as I still I, can't. I, yeah. You know, it's it. So, so that, that busyness of our brains is something that instead of thinking more something special or that it's, we're limited by it or prevented from developing a practice of stillness within ourselves. It really isn't true. It, it, it's not a limitation. It just is the way our brains work. Yeah. And we learn how to be with that and find some inner space yeah. to quiet that stuff down. Yeah. One, one of the things that helped me a little bit too was, you know, somebody just pointed out, your brain has one job. That's to generate thoughts. It's just going to generate thoughts. They don't have to mean anything. You don't have to put energy into them. You know, your brain just sitting there cranking thoughts out. Mm-hmm. And you can get all wrapped around them if you want to, or you can... Just let them pass through. Yeah. <laughs> Away they go. Yeah. Um, so, but that, yeah, and that's, you know, again, it's only 10 or 15 minutes. I, I'm not, I'm not going in the woods for three hours and sitting there. You, you haven't know. done a no, no food, no water, five uh, day fast. No, I, no, yeah, I was thinking <laughs> about yet. that. No, I, I mean, yeah, not I yet. was able to get, I was able to get that, that, that difference. Um, yeah. It's funny. I just started on an inter- intermittent fasting. I'm looking at a 48 hour fast coming mm-hmm. up. So I just started that in the last week or so. Yeah. And it also, I'm amazed how that feels. Mm-hmm. You get some clarity, but no, you can, you can, you can find some somewhere out there like the Sam Harris or somebody, you can find some short things, five, 10 minutes, do it in the morning. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. And it, and it resets you for the day. I think, yeah. I think one of the other things in the meditation thing too is, you know, we do have the ability to make a choice of how we want to spend our day. And I can wake up in the morning and have a bad 10 seconds or not feel like I got enough sleep and be moaning. What I realize is you also can wake up and decide, 
I'm going to walk in the spirit today all day. Mm-hmm. I don't care if I'm in a bad mood or whatever. Let me, let me try, you know, that's part of my morning prayers. L- let me carry your light. Let me carry the light mm-hmm. of the spirit out and, and spread that. And no matter how you feel, you can still inside be happy, joyous, compassionate to everyone you run into. You know, it, it, you, you, can, you can actually, and I never believed it, you can actually choose to be happier if you want to. Yeah. And, and uh, I didn't believe that for probably up until six, eight months ago. Well, I think it's a foreign thought for, for many of us, particularly in this culture, you know, yeah. uh, even though our, the founding documents said, you know, pursuit of happiness is one of the things that, yeah. that was written into the, to the founding psychology <laughs> of, of our culture. And where did, where the hell did that go? Yeah. Because we've exchanged that, 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 pursuit of real happiness or joy for the pursuit of maybe material things or or the pursuit of this distraction that you were referring to earlier and we actually pursue the distractions and where do we find the time to realize that we won't drop into a bottomless pit if we find the stillness yeah that resides within yeah. us yeah well that's just start i mean routine today start with the stillness meditation and then start with a little prayer all right i'm centered i want to stay in spirit today and look and get up and go yeah. and, and it it makes all the difference you know resetting resetting yourself like that i think one of the other things somewhere somewhere in the book of the 12-step program it it says that uh, the people in the substance abuse area um, we have a tendency or a, a proclivity to uh, ma- manufacture our own misery yeah uh, and <laughs> and yeah you know I, th- that was me that yeah. that was me you also have the ability to not manufacture your own mm-hmm. your own misery and one of the outside help things that that also was another you know one that landed on me was you know i spent like 20 minutes talking to this coach and you know going on and on and and then uh he goes huh you know, and he just says to me, uh, how long do you think you've been addicted to suffering? And, uh, and it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we do that. And addictions come in all different forms, mm-hmm. you know, to emotions, to, to substances, to whatever. But, you know. yeah, 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 that reminds me of the Buddha, you know, the, the spiritual master that showed up a long, long time ago. I'm pretty sure this is a paraphrase, but he said, I've come to teach two things. I've come to teach suffering and the end of suffering. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, how do you get there? Yeah. You know, and, you know, Ron, I want to thank you because you've, you've been able to express and share some things that have worked for you to find some peace, to find some space and freedom from that suffering. Yeah, and I hope, you know, this is what impacted me. I hope somebody gets some help, but I also hope that I hope for everybody to get on the path to, to, you know, finding their spiritual self and and actually behaving and acting that way a predominant amount of your time. I think you're going to, your time on this earth is going to be much more uh, enjoyable. I I would say hell to the yeah (laughs) for that one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, brother, thank you for taking the time, man. I appreciate the conversation. Okay. All right, bro. Thanks for asking.
Close your eyes